Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of Get Wrecked, the only podcast anywhere in the world where two buds take turns recommending and reviewing some of their favorite pop culture hits, hidden gems, and oddities. I'm of course your host and resident silly boy Thor, joined today as always by my friend and co-host, he's a soul man, it's Micah. Hey, what's going on, brother? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that took me off guard mildly. Sorry, I was listening to Joe Rogan talk to Hulk Hogan. And, and, just came- <laughs> and it just came to me. Dude, I love Hulk Hogan. He's kind of a wild man. He really is. There was also another interview he did with Ric Flair. Who, Joe Rogan or Hulk yeah. Hogan? Say that ten times fast. Joe Rogan, Hulk Hogan, Joe Rogan, Hulk Joe Hogan. Joe Rogan or Hulk Hogan, Joe Rogan or Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Uh, no, it was Rogan. He interviewed... Uh, oh, Ric Flair? Ric Flair, yeah. <laughs> also equally as interesting. <laughs> Honestly, though, Ric Flair is kind of a perv, dude. Is he? I know nothing about Ric Flair, except that he goes, Woo! Woo! All the time. That's about it. That's all I know about And he was, I guess, like a pioneer of wrestling. Did you ever, like, watch a lot of wrestling? I watched the Attitude Era of Wrestling, so the late 90s, very early 2000s. Oh, yeah. that's my era of wrestling as well. Yeah, I, I, that's about when I started and also when I stopped. Sure, for a couple years. Yeah, just a couple years. The, I mean, it was Stone Cold Steve Austin days, The Rock was big, Kurt Angle was big. It was before John Cena. Who was your guy? Uh, you're not gonna like it. You're not gonna like it. Try me. You don't know. Okay. It was the Hardy Boys. Dude, of course! They were the fucking best! (laughs) I liked the Hardy Boys, and I also loved the Dudley Boys. I loved, or the Dudley Brothers. Yes. Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley. Oh, for sure, yeah. I loved them. I just thought that they were so weird, and I loved their weird camouflage outfits. They were very weird, yeah. And I loved their, uh, their stupid 3D move. Where they just like lifted a guy up and then just dropped him on a table type of thing. Yes. Loved that. I also was a fan of Undertaker, though sometimes I, I wasn't into the whole Harley Davidson era of Undertaker. Like you don't the, love a leather vest? I wasn't a fan of the like the motorcycle Undertaker. I get that. No, I agree with you though. Hardy Boys. Hardy Boys Never. were awesome. So when I was in sixth grade. I joined the actual wrestling team because at that point I was a like huge diehard fan of wrestling. wrestling. Okay. So I joined the wrestling team because I didn't realize what actual traditional wrestling is. (laughs) I can't choke slam anybody. Dude. And here's the thing about wrestlers. Most of them start when they're pretty young. Mm -hmm. So I'm in like sixth grade and I show up to the first day of practice and I'm wearing a Hardy Boys shirt. Dude, I got picked on so bad. Really? Because yeah, and also, like, I've never been particularly athletic. And there were kids in sixth who, honestly, these kids in sixth grade, I still think they could probably beat me up now. They had like <laughs> six, they were in sixth grade and they had fucking six packs. Yeah. Dude, I got my ass kicked so hard. Because, A, I had no skills. Yeah. And they had been wrestling forever. Sure. Also, I was wearing a fake wrestling shirt. 
<laughs> okay. Dude, the day I showed up and I was like, dude, everybody's going to love my Hardy Boy shirt. <laughs> They're going to love it. And then uh, we're going to jump, we're going to hit each other with some chairs and shit. Yeah, not the case. And huh? then instead, we were just like hugging each other and grabbing each other's balls. I mean, wrestling is a very close, con- like a very close contact sport. I I respect it. I appreciate it, but it's a very physical sport too. Yeah, I I did wrestling, but very honestly, briefly. professional wrestling is much cooler. Uh, it's I think it's definitely more theatrical. Yeah, it's way cooler. Sure. Yeah, I I would probably agree with that. So I did wrestling for one season, if that even, um, and I just didn't stick with it. But prior to that, I did a lot of martial arts, like a lot of martial arts. Sure. So, yeah. So me getting into martial arts and then me thinking, well, let's just do some wrestling too. So it was kind of in that vein. I didn't yeah. go into it thinking that I'd be choke slamming or jumping off the high rope or anything like that. But well, yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm borderline R worded. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I was into I was into wrestling for pretty. It was like a couple months, really into wrestling, hardcore, an unhealthy amount, and then I just kind of quit. So. What do you think the Blues Brothers tag team finisher move would be called? They would make an incredible tag team it'd wrestling a, it'd team. It'd be a great shtick, right? It'd have something to... There'd be a harmonica involved in some way. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like maybe one of them like rakes the eyes with a harmonica and the other one punches them in the nuts. I could see that. And they, they call it the boogie woogie or something like that. Uh, the boogie woogie, yeah. Maybe they just get a cop car and run them over. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's their wrestling move. that'd be appropriate yeah oh man we're gonna talk about cop cars micah we're gonna talk about a lot of cars and a lot of wild things dude yeah let's let's get into some blues hey folks make sure to stay up to date on all the latest episodes by following us at get wrecked podcast on instagram and facebook Or, if you have any recommendations you'd like to hear us review on the show, you can contact us directly via email. Or, I don't know, maybe you just want to send us some feet pics. You creep. I don't know what you're into. I don't care. We'll review those too. What do you think of that, huh? In any case, all your requests, feedback, and general criticism of the straight white patriarchy can be sent to getrectpod at gmail.com. That's G-I-T-R-E-C-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Alrighty, folks, we are back. We are talking about the 1980 film, The Blues Brothers, starring Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi as... Jake Blues and Elwood Blues, the kind of haphazard and ill-fated Blues Brothers, as they try to save the orphanage they were raised in through the power of music. Because you know why, Micah? Why? They're on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. (laughs) Ooh. Alrighty, so uh, before we get your thoughts on it, just a little bit about this movie. Okay. Um, once again, came out in 1980. is based on a Saturday Night Live skit, and the actual Blues Brothers band is a re- was a real band. So essentially, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, they're on Saturday Night Live. Both of them, kind of through different experiences, gained a real love for the blues. Okay. At this point, Dan Aykroyd, uh, probably like 76, 77, owned a bar uh, somewhere in New York, and it was called the Holland Tunnel Blues Bar. And essentially, after the shows, 
the guests as well as the cast would go to his bar and there was always just instruments set up for people to jam. Okay. And they kind of started jamming and they ended up putting together an actual blues band. So all the singing you hear in the film, that's actually Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Oh, okay. The Blues Brothers Band is an actual band. Uh, I believe their first gig was opening for Steve Martin um, when uh, Steve Martin still did comedy or stand-up comedy. Okay, so it wasn't Steve Martin doing the banjo. It wasn't the Blues Brothers and well, then Steve Martin doing banjo. He did banjo as part of it. That's true, he did. His comedy specials, yeah. But yeah. And during that time, uh, Dan Aykroyd actually came up with the idea to turn it into a script. Hmm. So the film is written by Dan Aykroyd. Apparently, when he first wrote it, it was like 400 pages long, which is like three times longer than a normal script. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I wasn't um, sure where uh, we were at. The film is directed by, uh, what's his name here? I forgot it. I'm going to find it, though. John Landis, who John Landis is actually in the film. He start, He's one of the uh, the troopers in the okay. car. Not the black trooper hunting them, but oh, the, the white guy. guy with them. Yes. Um. So he actually helped Dan Aykroyd kind of filter it down into an actual like script because Dan Aykroyd had never written a script prior to this. Okay. So the film is really just a love letter to blues and R&B and soul. And it has a fucking wild cast. So I'm going to start with just the actors in the film. Okay. You obviously have John Belushi as Joliet Jake Blues. You have Dan Aykroyd as Elwood J. Blues. Additionally, you have in different roles throughout, you have Carrie Fisher, Mm -hmm. John Candy, Twiggy, who is not an actor, uh, but she was a famous model, uh, Frank Oz, Steven Spielberg, and Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman. Herman. R.I.P. Hold on, hold on, okay. Not Paul Rubens, who, you said Steven Spielberg? Yep. Who was he? Steven Spielberg was the guy at the very end when they finally get the cash together and they get to uh, like the city hall to the tax collector. He's the tax collector who they pay. I didn't even recognize him there. Okay. So then what about Frank Oz? Frank Oz is the guy in the very beginning who is giving Jake his, his stuff, stuff back. What am I like? Wow. Such a great line where he's like one prophylactic unused. Then he pulls out a used condom. <laughs> One used. That's Frank Oz. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's Yoda. That's Grover from Sesame Street. That is Yoda. Carrie Fisher also in it. At this point in time, um, probably the reason she's in the film, dating Dan Aykroyd. What? Yeah. I didn't know that until I started like doing some research into the film. Wow. Okay. All right. So that's just... And, I mean, there's obviously way more than that, but those Uh are kind of the big names. Musicians that appeared in the film. I'll start with the Blues Brothers Band. And once again, this was an actual band. Steve the Colonel Cropper, uh, lead guitar. Guy with the big beard. Yeah. Donald Duck Dunn was on the bass. Murphy Dunn on the keyboards. Willie Too Big Hall, the drummer. Tom Bones Malone, the trombone. Blue Lou Marini on the saxophone. Matt Guitar Murphy, also on the lead guitar. He was the older black guy playing guitar. Okay. Mr. Fabulous Alan Rubin on the trumpet. In addition to that, 
people who either just made cameos and had speaking appearance or actual had uh, musical performances. You get James Brown, Cab Calloway, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, John Lee Hooker, Joe Walsh, Shaka Khan, and the one, the only fucking Pine Top Perkins. <laughs> Who I'm sure you have no idea who that is, Micah. No idea Dude, who that is. He's a blues legend. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I so I didn't recognize that many people, but I I, I like I recognized Ray Charles, I recognized Aretha Franklin, uh, I recognized James Brown. Yeah, they obviously had really big parts. Yeah. yeah. So that was something that really jumped out to me about this movie. Because I'm like, what? <laughs> I just kept saying that repeatedly. Dude. <laughs> So, fun thing about this film is they kind of went like 10 million over budget. That doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) That doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) And a lot of that had to do with... Did it have to do with the amount of cars that were destroyed in this movie? It had to do with the cars as well as all the fucking cameos. Okay. (laughs) And also, at this point in time, all those musicians I just named... The big ones anyway, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, they were kind of having like slumps in their career. And then after this film, it kind of brought them back into the conversation, actually helped their careers a lot. Yeah. So I wasn't even sure because I I was like, is that Aretha Franklin? And then you hear her sing and you're like, oh, it definitely is Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Because I saw her and I thought, interesting. And then she started singing and I'm like, What? Okay, because at that point, I'm like, oh, this is a musical. That's where we're at. That's yeah, that is the point. That's the real turn where it's like, oh, it is part musical. Yeah. Because it is, it's not a musical, but I mean, it, um, it's it's on the, it's right in the yeah. line where there are a lot of scenes where you say, oh, this is a musical. To be honest, I think if you were to trim this movie down, because the movie is about two and a half hours long. If yeah. you were to trim it down, it would be a musical through and through. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Because cause there's a lot of, I don't want to call it Dude, like dead can I, space. Can I between. tell you something, Micah? So the movie runtime is about two hours, ten minutes. It was originally, it? It was originally it was two and a half hours, and they trimmed 20 minutes off of it. The version that I saw, <laughs> I think, was two and a half hours. I thought. Maybe I'm wrong. But. It probably just felt that. Like, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be honest. That might have been I'll the case, be honest, yeah. it is from the, It's from 1980. Yeah. It is slow. Like, I honestly think you could trim a lot more for, like, a modern audience. Sure. But, yeah, the runtime's about two hours, ten minutes. Okay. And, yeah, they that's trimmed down from two and a half hours. Man. That's wild. Once again, Dan Aykroyd's first script, he was like, I don't even know how to write a script. <laughs> but I'm going to do yeah. this love letter to blues music. That's kind of cool. So, that being said, Michael, what are your first impressions? How how did you feel about it going into it and yeah after you saw um it? okay so this movie I have complicated feelings about this movie um because you're 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 struggling with how much you love it so the beginning of this movie was <laughs> tough for me to get through it's slow it's, it's a slow the start. Begin- yeah the beginning of this movie was tough for me to get through up until to be honest up until. They get the band together and do their first show and do Rawhide. <laughs> when when they started, I get that, yeah. When they started doing Rawhide, I found myself starting to chuckle quite a bit. And for whatever reason, from that point on, like that was kind of the catalyst for me to go, 
oh, okay. And like my brain kind of stopped complaining while I was watching it. And it was just kind of was like, oh, okay, this is actually entertaining. At that point is is when that happened. And then I think that that just kind of grew as the movie went on from there. And there was maybe like an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes left, I think, from that point. So I would say the majority of the movie, if the movie was two hours and I mean, it probably like the first hour of the movie was tough for me, I think. And then from that point on, I would say that I actually started really enjoying it. There were some things that made no sense to me. <laughs> it's a little bit absurd, all, which right? is part of what's so funny like, about it. Like, there's, because there's, like, it, okay, it does slapstick comedy in this, but it does slapstick comedy <laughs> so sparingly that it made me question if it was a comedy And film. also in a way that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you mean like when Carrie Fisher appears and all of a sudden she has a rocket launcher? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just like blows up the phone booth and sends it flying through the air like it's a fucking Doctor Who ship. <laughs> it's right? a cartoon all of a sudden. <laughs> and and it, that, that shoots up and then they just land and they just get out. And nobody responds to what just happened. They're just like, all right, we got to go to the next place. I'm like, <laughs> did you not just get lifted to space by Carrie Fisher because of a fucking rocket? They also had a rocket launcher shot at them. A building exploded while they're in it, and they just get up out of the yeah. rubble. And also, nobody's commenting on the fact that Carrie Fisher's just being a hit person for the first two hours of this film. <laughs> like, there's, she has no lines in this entire movie. And she she's just like, okay, I've got a rocket launcher. Now I've got a flamethrower. Um, put, like she's she's reading an instruction manual on how to build or or like use a flamethrower, flame <laughs> and then it just cuts away. But like, there's no context to any of it. So there was a lot of it where I'm like, I don't understand where this is going with a lot of it. It also really reminded me of the Boondock Saints. Why is that? Because it was two brothers on a mission from God. Okay, yeah, that's fair. And and mi- probably that's about it. But <laughs> yeah, it's definitely about it. For, for some reason, I just kept thinking. Well, and they're both kind of on the borderline of criminal. Well, it, they're actually definitely criminals. Oh my gosh, those brothers are. Ab- <laughs> when when I saw that it was rated R for violence, I was like, what? I had no idea that that was the case because I, I didn't know what I was getting into. I had no idea. So. I think partly because I was coming into this totally blind. Again, the only thing that I really knew about this movie was the front cover, like the jacket, the the poster of the movie. That's it. That's all I knew. I didn't even realize that Dan Aykroyd was one of the main actors. <laughs> it's a like young Dan Aykroyd. It, yeah, man. it's the it's the thinnest I've ever seen Dan Aykroyd. I knew that John Belushi was in it, but I had no idea that all of these other people were in it. And to be honest, I understand why this movie has the appeal that it does. Because none of the cameos were familiar to me as far as I didn't I, like I wasn't aware of any of that. Yeah. Going in. So I was like, oh, shit, that's James Brown. Oh, shit. That's Aretha Franklin. Oh, shit. That's Ray Charles. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. shit. That's Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, seeing those things, I'm like, oh, wow. These, and like, oh, shit. There's John Candy. You know, so seeing that and especially thinking about the time that it was made, I get why it had such an appeal. Sure. Yeah. To it. Um, 
So I would say that the first half, not sure how I felt about it. It was a little bit slow, but it picks up and I just found myself laughing just kind of at the absurdity through through a lot. Yeah. Of it. Some of the jokes. I love jokes that aren't actual jokes. Like the writing is written cleverly so it makes you laugh rather than somebody could comedy now is in movies it's often like two people just riffing and doing one-liners on each other like Will mm-hmm. Ferrell and John uh what's his name from Step Brothers, John C. Riley. Yeah. So you know, that's kind of what comedy has become. It's shifted a little bit where they're just saying dumb things to each other to make you laugh. But having the camera be the joke sometimes where like when they are sneaking into the concert and they break the window and they jump in and they walk through and you find out that they broke into the girl's bathroom and all the women are freaking out. That was hysterical. Yes. Like that yes. was hilarious. But they were very deadpan because they're serious through the entire thing. So that type of comedy... I kind of miss. Dude, this... So part of the reason why I love this movie, I discovered this when I was probably like 14, 15 years old. And at that point in time, I had been playing guitar for a couple years and had just started really falling in love with the blues. Okay. And blues music. And I was like, Blues Brothers? Oh, perfect. I didn't even know what it was. And I watched it. And it changed the way I viewed comedy. Yeah, I could see because that. Because... Because you have to imagine, I grew up watching South Park and shit like the Will Ferrell stuff and yeah. Night at the Roxbury and all the Happy Madison stuff with, with Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler and his crew. Right. Which and all those things are very funny. And I, of course. Sure. But it's all kind of outrageous and vulgar. And whereas this, I was like, oh, shit can just be funny by being understated and being clever. Yeah. And it's just a different vibe a comedy a lot of a lot of it is because it's from a different time Mm -hmm. so this movie like not only did i just really love everything it was doing but it kind of changed the way i viewed movies and comedy yeah i could see that i could um i didn't realize that it was a comedy going into it i I wasn't sure what it was going into. yeah honestly at the beginning it it's not, it doesn't start, get, it gets funnier as it goes on. That's true. Maybe, like really maybe the, that's the case. Probably the first bit of comedy you get is when they just ramp the bridge as oh, yeah. it's lifting. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and then they just, they're just, again, that happens, but they never react to what they just did or what just happened to them. So they're then they're just talking about, or you know, things that they're seeing on the road or, or things that they're seeing in the mall as they are destroying Dude, a mall. Dude, is that not the greatest car chase scene it's, ever recorded? It's so wild. Dude. I don't know, man. The Because the, there's a couple of car chase scenes Dude. in this. All right, let's talk about the car chases. Check this out. Specifically, the Bluesmobile itself. The film used 13 different cars uh, bought from the California Highway Patrol. Uh, like at an auction. It was a retired 1974 Mount Prospect, Illinois, Dodge Monaco patrol car. They bought uh, 13 of them. Okay. So each of them were like outfitted with different, like outfitted differently depending on what they were going to do. So there were some for the crazy jumps with the hydraulics. There were some for uh, racing, some for crashing. The final scene when they get out of the car and the 
all the parts just fall off it. Yeah. It took months of rigging to make that happen. Oh, really? And then in addition to just the Bluesmobile, of the other police cars in the film, the non-Bluesmobiles ones. So, like, the three fleets of police cars? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they bought 60 police cars at $400 each. $400? And most were destroyed at the completion of filling. Filming. I, yeah, that doesn't surprise well, me at all. Well, it is 1980, so I mean, I don't know inflation-wise, but yeah, $400. It just seems so cheap, but... They have all these cars, so uh, 53 in, or 73 in total. They had a 24-hour body shop just to repair the cars. <laughs> Jeez. So, this film set the world record for the most destroyed cars ever in a film. That does not surprise me at all. Only to be beaten by one car by the sequel, Blues Brothers 2000, 20 years later. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Which, once again, I've never seen that, but I'm assuming they leaned into the car chase thing. They must because, have, yeah. <laughs> dude, the car chases are absurd. They're so, like, over the top. They're just so over the top. And then one last little piece with that. So the not the Illinois Nazis that are chasing them. And I then they hate end Illinois up, And then Nazis. they end up going off the bridge. Yeah. Do you know how they filmed that scene of the car falling through the sky? How? They dropped a car from a helicopter <laughs> and filmed it. They had to get, like, permission from the FAA to fucking do it. So, because I watched it, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's like a matchbox car and sure, just a, a filming model. trick. No, they dropped an actual car from a helicopter to film that scene. That's so wild. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That, I mean, yeah, that's awesome that they're doing that. It's just nuts to me that they did it. But I guess, you know, at that time when it was made, how do they do that stuff visual effect wise? Yeah. Like, obviously, they don't have. You the, had to just actually do it. Yeah. Or George Lucas it and use action figures. So that's that's kind of nuts. So what was the budget for this film? Do we know what the budget was okay. for this? Uh, so initially they had asked for like twenty million, and the studio is like, no. <laughs> okay. And they they offered like fifteen million. They came to an agree agreement at about seventeen million. Okay. It ended up coming in at about $27 million. So they only went $10 million over budget. That's it. <laughs> Jeez. A third of what their almost, like a third of what their original budget yeah. was going to be. And honestly, after, after they filmed everything, uh, things only got worse from there. What? Okay. Yeah, so the final budget, $27.5 million which is equivalent to about 98 million now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Sheesh. So right before this is about to be released, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi both left SNL. Right after it was released? Right before it was released. Oh, okay. Which doesn't look good for it. Additionally, the biggest theater chain at that time, Man Theaters, the owner of the man theaters, he told Landis, the director, he told them that they would not book the film in any theaters in predominantly white neighborhoods such as Westwood. Not only did man not want to, did not want black patrons going there to see the film, 
but he also surmised that while viewers were unlikely to see a film featuring old black musical stars. So he was so just... So ultimately, a, a, it got less than half the bookings a normal major film release would. Just because he sounds like a racist old codger? Yeah, basically. I mean, it's 1980. I mean, we're they're sure. honestly yeah, not time is, time particularly far removed from civil rights and stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, we got a bunch of nice white neighborhoods. I don't want all these black folks coming to see this blues music movie. Wow. Swear to God. Yeah. That's really wild, though, because... Ray Charles, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, those are big names in the 80s. Like the, I mean, they're big names now, but why wouldn't they think that with those big names, it wouldn't bring in a lot of money? No, they. it wasn't about that. They didn't care about the money. They didn't want it bringing in black people into their white neighborhoods. <laughs> isn't that isn't that wild? I guess so, it's good for them to stick to their morals. Yeah. So here's so they spent twenty seven and a half million on it on uh, June twentieth, their opening week. They brought in four million, just under five, and it ranked second only to The Empire Strikes Back. Well, they're never going to win against that. <laughs> right. like, uh, so overall, it ended up grossing fifty-seven million domestically and fifty-eight million in foreign box office. Okay, so it was successful then. It did end up becoming successful, successful, and then it just picked up steam as it went on. Okay, especially in foreign markets, and it kind of became a cult classic. I can definitely see this being a cult classic. It has all the trademarks. That's pretty cool that Dan Aykroyd and Belushi actually sang. Belushi's got some some pipes. That was that was some solid singing. So there were a lot of people who kind because the band is made up of different musicians in the blues scene. So you have uh, Paul Schaefer. Do you know who he is? He, the name he was familiar. he was the keyboard player on David Letterman. Okay. Late night with David Letterman, Tonight Show. Yeah. Wh- whichever one it was, but at that point he was working on SNL. Okay. So three of the band members are from the SNL band. Blue Lou Marino, Tom Malone, and uh, somebody else. I don't know. Three of them. But they were uh, from a band called Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and then they actually worked on the Saturday Night Live band. And then the guitarist Steve Copper and bassist Donald Duck Dunn, uh, they were from Booker T and the MGs, which is a pretty uh, famous like blues R&B band. Gotcha. I only know Booker T the wrestler. <laughs> no, not Booker T, the rest <laughs> um, But Steve Cropper, he was actually uh, the guitar player featured on the song Soul Man. Okay. Uh, something in Dave. Don't know. I have no idea. Soul music is not my expertise. They put the, they put the tape in the player when they get into the Bluesmobile. But it was a specific band, Something in Dave? Yeah, it's two guys. God damn it. Why was is it, it on here? Was it Bette Davis and Dave Matthews? <laughs> it was definitely Bette Davis and Dave Matthews. <laughs> In any case, the song Soul Man is featured. So all the musicians are people who were actual musicians. Sure. The, their kind of look inspired by John Lee Hooker. Okay. Who John Lee Hooker was the guy who's on the street. He sings Boom Boom. A boom, boom, boom. Ha, ha, ha. Hey. Yeah. yeah, it's John Lee Hooker. Okay. 
Was he the guy in the uh, in the Catholic Church? Nope. He was the okay. street musician playing the guitar. Oh, okay. So their like fedora and Ray Bans were kind of inspired by him. Gotcha. Um, I got a question. Okay. The Blues Brothers are are they're going through this whole thing where they're trying to they're on a mission from God to save the church or the orphanage. I guess it's the orphanage that they're trying to save. They need five thousand dollars. Get the band back together. Do a show, get the money, save the orphanage. Yeah. They're late on their way to the orphanage because they run out of gas. And Oh no, for the concert. Yes, yes, yeah. sorry. Yeah, they're late for the concert because they run out of gas. And to stall the crowd, like the guy who got them into blues music, I forget what his name was. Okay, so he, that is Curtis. Okay. That is the guy, because essentially they were raised in an orphanage mm-hmm. by this nun who they call the Penguin. Yeah. Who I love the scene where she's slapping the shit out oh of my him for gosh. swearing and, they can't and then they swearing. just keep going, oh fuck, oh shit, oh fuck, oh shit, and she's just slapping <laughs> that was, them. That was pretty funny. And then they fall funny. down the stairs. Yeah. Still still stuck in those stupid little desks. Yeah, that part was pretty funny. The character's name is Curtis. And the name Curtis is an homage to one of uh, John Belushi's favorite blues singers and old Oregon blues musician Curtis something. I, I can't remember the name. Okay. But in any case, that is Cab Calloway. Cab Calloway was a like a jazz band leader. Okay. So that song, Minnie the Moocher that he does. Yeah. It's such an incredible song. It's a pretty awesome song. That was his, that's like his song. His song. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that that's a scene where I started questioning what was happening. Because they all changed outfits out of nowhere. Yeah. Not only that, but the set changed too. Yep. They're just like, all right, hit it. Snap the fingers and everything's different. Yeah. All of a sudden it's a fucking jazz like swing yeah. ensemble. Like yeah. Nightclub area. <laughs> and then as soon as they were done, it went back to just <laughs> They're be- back into their other clothes. Yeah. Like, what? What? And- Dude, how about when they take the blues mobile and make it do a backflip through the air? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, the- there's a lot of just like absurd humor that's and they just don't address it. It's just yeah. like this is what it is. <laughs> yeah. It, and it it was off putting to me at first. It really was because, like I said, they don't do it enough that I'm like, oh, this is a slapstick movie. If they would do something like Naked Gun where it was. You know, a old or a Leslie Nielsen film where that's the type of comedy it is yeah, throughout. That's the whole movie. Yeah. yeah, like I would go, oh, okay, that's what this is. But it was like once every ten minutes or once yeah. every fifteen minutes. Well, and it starts pretty, and some of them are even pretty subtle. It starts pretty early. Yeah, in that scene with the penguin, because she slaps them until they run out of the room, and John Belushi is stuck in his little desk and he falls down the stairs in his school desk. Yeah. And she's like, don't come back until you've redeemed yourself. Yeah. And then she just floats backwards yeah. and the door slams shut. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I forgot all about that. Yeah, that was another scene where I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what? Is this a real world? This, this, I will say you can tell it's dated in the sense that this is a film of moments. There's so many like quotable lines and just and just like funny moments. Mm-hmm. It's not like a laugh every 10 seconds or every yeah, definitely minute. not. It's not a laugh per minute movie. Yeah. It's actually like kind of a musical and it's also a pretty serious film in many ways, but then just punched up 
with these jokes in just certain places. Yeah, like, absolutely. Dude, and so many, like, my favorite thing from this whole movie is the scene with Aretha Franklin, and they go, we're on a mission from God, ma'am. And she goes, don't you be blaspheming in here. Don't you be blaspheming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like part of my favorite scene, or my favorite part about that scene is this long uh, musical about, like, he better not leave, this type of thing. And as soon as she's done singing, he's like, yeah, see ya. He's like, let's go. And then they just leave immediately <laughs> yeah. after she does, does this, like, long song about, like, you better not leave. Uh, so that was humorous to me. Also, a throwaway line was hysterical to me. It was them driving and the Illinois Nazis were around, which, why? Why are there Illinois Nazis? <laughs> what, like, what is what is that whole thing? But uh, John Belushi just goes, I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and so that scene, that line, I just had to chuckle. And then I had to rewind because I'm like, what, what did <laughs> that have to why? do with anything? Uh, yeah the nazis are, see i also love like the time period because you remember when we could all just agree to hate nazis yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i feel like you couldn't even make that scene today because you'd have to be worried like some people would be like well they got some co- good points of view they're just good Amer-. you know what i mean like <laughs> i don't know man i i'd like to think i that just that's love not a world with everybody because even the cop goes by and he's like fucking nazis yeah yeah. Also, a great line. You were talking about the rawhide scene. Mm-hmm. That was where I started to like the movie. Yeah. Is when they started yeah. playing that. I love when they go to that bar because because Jake has just completely bullshitted this situation. I love Jake. He's so funny that yeah. he's just like he's a full on just bullshitter. Mm-hmm. I love that like archetypal character. Yeah. Of just like I'm just gonna bullshit my way through everything and I'll eventually make it work. Sure. But they get there and they're like. So what kind of music do you guys usually have here? And the lady just goes, well, both types, country and Western. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just two types of music. Well, and they, I like when they're, they're like, we don't know any of these songs on this list. And he goes, it's a request. We don't have to play that. We're just going to start with our, our normal song. And they start doing that. And everybody all flips the beer out. Bottles. Like, yeah, all all the beer bottles fl- like just start throwing Everybody freaks out, and then they stop, and they'll go, okay, all right, we need a song that these people are going to like. And so they start singing Rawhide, and even though it's not on the list because it's a country-slash-western song, <laughs> everybody immediately turns and is just like, woohoo, and yeah, starts like, jumping and dancing on the table. Dude, and then I love when they do Stand By Your Man. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, not a bad cover. No, not at all. Yeah, not a bad cover. But something that was strange to me about that scene was they kept throwing beer bottles at them through the entire concert that they were there. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they have this like, uh, I don't even know. Chicken wire. Yeah. Okay. So that's what was in front of and them. And that's a, I, from, to, it's to my understanding that is a real thing in, or was a real thing in like honky tonk bars. So they would just put that in front so that when people, when people started throwing bottles at the musicians, they wouldn't die, get okay. hit in the head and fucking. So 
collapse and die. I think that that's the that's hysterical that that's the route that people went instead of not allowing them to throw beer bottles at the entertainment. It's a different world, man. I guess, man. <laughs> Dude, I would love, I would love, can you imagine how fun that would be? If you don't like a band, you can just throw beer bottles at them and people are like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, as long as I'm That's standing in the skier. back of the room. That's just Skeeter, he gets heated. <laughs> I, like, if I'm standing in the back of the room, sure. I don't want to be in the front, though. We're like, in the range of the splash zone of the broken glass. <laughs> it's just wild. But I thought it was kind of funny that they just kept throwing beer bottles through the entire thing, even though the crowd was loving the music at that point. And that was a scene where I'm like, is this is this the joke? Is that a joke that they're doing? Or is that something that happens? I could that's one of those things where if it was a joke, I was too far removed from the context <laughs> of it yeah. to like get the joke. I was questioning it. So I don't I don't know. I, honestly, I'm not sure. Yeah. Or is that just something that they did back then? There's so much absurd like Dude, can we talk about the James Brown? James Brown as a preacher. Kind of perfect. Fucking awesome. Yeah. But once they start dancing at the end, and also it's like so funny that James Brown singing, you get this light on Jake and he's like, I've come to the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What was that about? <laughs> and all of a sudden he's doing the Lord and now he's doing cartwheels down the aisle. He's doing back handsprings, but, man. He's but just- then people are just... Once again, it's one of those absurd things that's just not addressed is people are just flying like 15 feet in the air doing backflips. Yeah, it's it's like they were on a trampoline and they got super spiked up in the <laughs> air because it's one of those hyped long... up on the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, man, those black gospel churches, man, they are fun to go to. Dude, Thor. black church looks so fun. It's so fun. It's got so much enthusiasm. You can do backflips and shit. Yeah, that was another scene. And and what's up with Carrie Fisher's character? Was there <laughs> any context behind that at all? I yeah. know that I know that she was like a scorned lover that John Belushi evidently just left at the altar. <laughs> yeah. And and they're building this thing up where she's constantly trying to murder them. I did laugh because John Belushi's just like, please, baby, I didn't mean it. I ran out of gas. My car exploded. He just, just he gives her every excuse at such a suit, such a great scene. Cause she finally has him cornered. She has an assault rifle. Yeah. She's about to kill them. And he finally, that's like the first time he takes off his glasses in the entire movie. Yeah. That you see. Yeah. Cause I yeah. don't think that you see his face before. Cause I mean, he, he obviously doesn't have them. Sure. When he's getting out of prison, you might get a flash of it, but I don't, I don't think they do. I don't think you get like a pro, like a straight on. I think you get his profile. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> he just gives her a, him begging and just giving her every excuse under the book. And she's like, he's like, baby, I love you. And she forgives him. And so he leans her back and kisses her. Super romantic kiss. just drops, drops her, her in the sword. <laughs> it's like, all right, let's go. And, oh my God. So, so I feel like them writing that, that was a whole movie length just to do that punchline. Yes. Right there. Like, that's the joke. Uh, and I'll bet that they thought, oh, man, this would be funny because she's going to do these things and we're not going to address it the entire film. And that's part of the joke. The payoff of the joke is so small that it makes it fucking hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> so much effort that goes into this single joke. Yeah. 
And I love that when Dan Aykroyd runs by, he's like, it's nice to meet you. He, he just keeps going. And then there's also, they have a, a, a thing where Dan Aykroyd meets some woman and max it up with her. That That is Twiggy. Once okay. She was a, uh, at the time, she was kind of like the uh, Kate Moss or Tyra Banks of the okay. early 80s. Just a very famous supermodel. Gotcha. At the time. So... Then he basically sets up a date with her and just totally stands her up. And then at one point in the film, it just goes back to that scene where she's just waiting for him at the motel. And then it just cuts to something else. Yeah, I think that's ultimately the appeal of this film is the Blues Brothers themselves. They just fucking drip cool. Like their sure. outfits, their their kind of I can't be bothered attitudes. Yeah. The the characters are just they're pretty cool. They're perfect. They're pretty cool. I I think Thor that we should be the Blues Brothers next Halloween. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, I don't think our wives would be okay with that, but I think we should be the Blues Brothers. Dude, I would be so <laughs> into that. Um, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, because he and even like them carrying around the the briefcase that's handcuffed to him and then they unlock it and it's a fucking harmonic in it dude can we talk about their performances when they're like dancing on stage sure is it not so fun it's pretty fun yeah anytime that i see a performance though on anytime that i see a performance in a film and the crowd is going wild because it's such a good performance it almost throws me out of the movie a little bit okay because i'm not going wild so I feel like it's unbelievable that people would be going wild. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of weird because anytime where they go. But oh, honestly, this- if I was watching that live, I would be going wild because they're fucking dancing and they're shucking and jiving. And sure. it's so silly because John Belushi's a big fat guy. Yeah. So seeing him dance like that is hilarious. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. He shouldn't be able to do back handsprings like that. Their persona and their charisma was pretty awesome on stage. Admittedly, it was pretty awesome on stage. I kind of also love that they ditched the concert mid-concert because the entire police force shows up. Yeah, it it was kind of wild. And then who was the guy who gave them the money at the end, who wanted the record label from them? Was he anybody important? Like, was he a cameo at all? I felt like that would have been a cameo, but... Who is this? The guy who gives them the $10,000. Okay, hold As on. they're sneaking out. It is somebody. Jeez, there's so many just random people. Yeah. Let me find him. Okay, so that's... No, that's the guy who booked it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not finding him. Uh, there is a lot of, like, random people... Okay. So I, I know Steve Lawrence plays Maury Slime. That's the agent who organized it. Okay. Um. Oh, dude, the part where they're trying to just get the venue in the first place, they're talking to him, and then, he, dude, then in at the, the back, very end, he's like, "All right, let's go, boys," and it just pans because they're in the sauna, right? So of course they're in a towel and they're stupid glasses and their stupid hat <laughs> still on him still on <laughs> yes the that's another example of what you said something i hadn't thought about is sometimes the comedy comes from 
the camera. Yeah. That's a classic one where like you just think it's these three guys talking in a sauna and then they pan out and it's the whole band just <laughs> hanging out in the sauna. Yeah, just sitting in the corner waiting for the conversation to be done. So funny. Yeah. Um also, can I tell you how much I laughed at the Ray Charles jokes? All the jokes of him being blind. Yes. And, and oh how he gosh. almost shoots that kid when he's trying to steal the guitar. Yeah, but but the part that got me the most was when the Blues Brothers are driving through all of the town, or like all the different towns with the stupid megaphone in their car. And people are making uh, posters and the kids are running out and they're giving posters to everybody trying to blue like it's like grassroots uh, get the word out for this single concert that's happening in like four hours. And Ray Charles hangs up the poster and he smiles and looks at it. And it's upside down, <laughs> dude. Like, uh, it makes me like Ray Charles more because I think it's hysterical that he's able or he was able to just kind of make jokes like that and kind of poke fun at himself. Of course. With yeah. that. That's so funny that, that he was okay with doing that type of stuff. Yeah. It makes me anybody who can laugh at themselves. I have a, a decent amount of respect for right off the bat. Well, and I mean, he's Ray Charles, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but he's one of those guys that I don't know anything about. Well, like, well like I, no, I get that. But I mean, like, when you're at that lofty of a position mm-hmm. of, you know, generally regarded as one of the greatest, you know, musicians and songwriters of the 20th century, it's like you either have to have a sense of humor or you're just a complete dick. Sure. So it's nice to know that he's like. Yeah, doing the sense of humor. Because I mean, like, why wouldn't you have a sense of humor? It's like, oh, yeah, I'm blind. Is it funny? I'm also rich, you idiots. Like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. It was a, oh man, surprisingly, I think I really enjoyed the film. It took time for me to really enjoy it. But by the time it was the 60 car cop chasing, (laughs) which is literally the most ridiculous cop (laughs) car chasing I've ever seen in my life. The pile up of cars is so nuts. And another thing, okay, so they lead you to kind of believe that the Illinois Nazis are gunning for the Blues Brothers and they're going to make this last stand, this last hurrah. And so they start chasing them. And as soon as they start chasing them, basically their cars crash just immediately. <laughs> and like The car drops and goes through that hole. All right. And then the other cop or the other car just like falls into it driving on the road. It's very anticlimactic as far as the conflict between them. Yes. So like they, that's another thing where they set it up pretty early on in the film and then waited until the very end of the film yeah. to do nothing with it. Yeah, because that's a thread that's like running through the whole thing and then they just end crashing. Yeah. Ugh, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Talking about this film is making me like it more. I'm, I'm starting... To okay. just remember the jokes, <laughs> even in the earlier parts of the film. I think it's fair to be, because honestly, I'll be, Kendra had never seen this, and I told her, I was like, hey, it's an old comedy, it's going to be slow, I don't think you're going to like it, you're welcome to watch it with me. Yeah. She made it through maybe the first 30, 40 minutes, and she played on her phone most of the time. She did not like this movie. Sure. And I don't, I would not hold that against anybody who, like, I have a lot of nostalgia attached with this. I found this movie when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of stayed with me as something I really love. But I could see coming into it with fresh eyes of like, oh, this is really slow. 
it's also very dated. Yeah. So I get that. <laughs> of that that is kind of like Yeah. It's tough. Well, and also it so it is a love letter, right? It's a definitely a love letter to the music of the time that they were in. Sure. So especially now, people watching it either have to have that they like, they've got to have a knowledge or a connection to the music of that time, I think, to really enjoy this film. Absolutely. So I think if some Gen Xers were to try and watch this, if they weren't the type that loved the old blues and soul music from the 1970s, 80s, they're not going to like yeah. the those connections aren't going to resonate with them. Yeah, for me as a guitar player, I just fell in love with R&B and blues and soul. I love all the music in this film. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that Tarantino took a little bit of inspiration from this because, I mean, it has one of the best soundtracks of any film ever. It's got a pretty good soundtrack. And, and it does a th- similar thing that Tarantino does in a lot of his films where he just he doesn't just get like orchestral soundtracks. He takes actual songs. Yeah. Uh, you know, like that are on the radio or popular songs and actually, you know, fits them into these scenes where the song and the actual scene are both kind of playing off each other and enhance. Yeah. Uh, enhance both. Yeah. So it is definitely a love letter to uh, to essentially black music. It is also a love letter to the city of Chicago. OK, this is the biggest budget film ever filmed in Chicago. It essentially proved to the film industry. It kind of set up Chicago as a place where you can go and film movies. Hmm. Okay. Um, I don't know if Aykroyd is from Chicago. I'm assuming maybe he is, but it is, it was intentional. A lot of it was actually just shot in Chicago. That's kind of cool. Um, but it is a many ways, a love letter to that city as well as blues music okay yeah it was fun it was a fun movie uh it took me a little bit to get into it but ultimately i i think that i ended up liking it i get that yeah yeah um we are uh, about at that time where we start talking about ratings believe it or not All how right. we how we getting into this store on a scale of one to 60 crashed police cars <laughs> how are you gonna rate this mike <laughs> i'm gonna give it a 45 okay. crashed police cars under budget, all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Under budget. I think that if I were to watch this movie again, I would catch more things, sure, and I would probably laugh more from the get go. So I, I honestly think that if I were to watch it again, I would probably enjoy it more. Yeah, I'm actually thinking of you coming into this with like no idea about the movie, <laughs> and like seeing someone be like, "What the fuck is going on? Yeah, like, what is the point of this story?" <laughs> Yeah, it was, I was very much in that mindset because I was like, OK, so they're going to get the band together. We're going to do this concert. But there were so many off the wall things that just were sprinkled throughout the film that it made me kind of question what I was watching. But yeah, 45 out of 60 smashed and destroyed police cars. One of those cars has to be the police car with John Candy in the back of a center trailer. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, I love one of them is definitely those cars. <laughs> they sma- They end up landing in a truck, and he's like, "Hey, can you hand me that? Can you hand me that uh the walkie-talkie?" He's like, "Thanks." He's like, "Yeah, this is so and so. We're in a truck, and that's <laughs> just like the that's last. It. That's just like the last you see of them." Yeah. Um. 
So what do you guys think? Have you seen Lou Blues Brothers? I would be curious to hear what you guys' thoughts are on this one, because this one is kind of out there for me. I don't know how many comedies we've really done on this show, and this one is kind of an out there comedy. It's, I don't even know if I would call it a comedy, to be honest. Uh, there, there are funny parts. It's a comedy musical? Yeah. Comedy. I think is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, but I don't even know if that's an apt... It's, yeah, something like that. It's a strange one. How would you guys pigeonhole this film? What genre would you put it in? Get a hold of us. Let us know. If you have other weird musical-ish type of movies, too, uh, let us know. Get a hold of us and recommend them to me. One of them that was recommended to me once, I'll never make Thor watch it, but it was a movie called Space Girl, I'm sorry, Earth Girls Are Easy. Had Jim Carrey, and it's randomly a musical. Not a very good one. That sounds familiar. It had What's Her Nuts from Stuart Little. Uh, Gina Davis, is that her name? I don't... I just know the cast of Stuart Little. All I remember is that dumb little kid with his stupid thick glasses. The Jerry Maguire boy? Yeah. Um, no, so it was, uh, what is her... She was in A League of Their Own. She was the catcher from A League of Their Own. Rosie O'Donnell. No, not Rosie O'Donnell. Can I, can I make a confession to you, Micah? Have you never seen A League of Their Own? I have not seen A League of Their Own. Oh, that might be going on the list! (laughs) That might be going on the list. I can't believe you haven't seen that movie. <laughs> I watched a couple episodes of the Prime like ser- TV series remake of it. That doesn't count at all, I don't think. Is it any good? It was okay. Yeah, no, it doesn't count. Because um, that movie was... That's a solid film. Um, I don't know her name. I'm going to look it up now. She's good at archery. Uh, all right, so, yep, gold star for me. Gina Davis, that's who it is. Uh, this also, I mean, that movie also has Tom Hanks. It's got Lori Petty in it. It's got Tank Girl herself. So you should, you should like that movie. Tom Hanks, Lori Petty. Uh Uh-huh. Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell. The latter people we can kind of. Okay. Yeah, it sounds good. But, uh, yeah. So that is not what we're getting into, but you best believe folks at some point, I think we're going to get into a league of their own. Um, next week though. We are getting into a movie. Our good friend, Zach McCrary, over at the Comics That We Love podcast, is doing this whole thing. He, it's, it's this whole thing that he's really into for the month of September. He's calling it Souptember. Uh, all about Superman doing his you know comic book thing there. This guy's got a real boner for Superman. Like yeah. Jeez. What's, what's funny is that he actually doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. But... Um, so we are going to be on an episode on the comics that we love talking all about the all-star Superman comic and Zach is going to be with us and we're going to be covering a movie called super fight. Is it fight or fights? Super fights. Okay. Plural. So the movie is called super fights. Thor and I know nothing about this film. McCrary has told us specifically not to look anything up. So we're going to go into it blind. I don't know where you guys can watch it, folks. You can probably find it somewhere. Yeah, we can't look it up, so you figure it out. <laughs> I don't know what to do. It's on you guys. <laughs> now, I believe that our audience is smart enough to figure out Super Fights. I don't know where it's from, when it's from, who's in it. I got nothing for you, crew, though. So it's. I'm, uh, I'm assuming it's absurd, though, because Zach only likes to bring the most absurd shit to this show. Which we really appreciate. <laughs> we do, yeah. Yeah, we really do. So, next week, Super Fights. That's what we're getting into. Uh, until next time. Oh, actually, actually, um, you need to get a hold of us. 
I said that you should get a hold of us, but I never told you how to do so. Send us an email at getrecpod at gmail.com. That's G-I-T-R-E-C-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us at Facebook at Get Wrecked Podcast. Yep. Get Wrecked Podcast. Yeah, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. <laughs> <laughs> so next week, Super Fights. Until then, folks. As always, you get wrecked out there. Stay wrecked. Roll them up. Ride them in. Moving on. Rawhide. Rawhide. I don't know. <laughs>